Uh, so yes, I just got back from sabbatical, 10 weeks away, which is quite a while, and just in short had a phenomenal, rejuvenating, rest-filled time. Uh, I'm going to share some stories from that this morning, but before I do, I want to just say thank you to our elders who continue to approve this as an intentional investment in pastoral health. It is something that I was not in per se need of. I wasn't burning out. I wasn't unhealthy. But I will say as a result of this incredible gift, I am healthier. And so um, it is truly an honor to be here with you today. And um, the first trip that I took during my sabbatical was to go to Lake Chelan. Um, if you've been there, you know it's beautiful. I was invited to a wedding and I thought, yeah, let's go. It's going to be awesome. I love Chelan. And while I'm going over, I might as well go early so I can maximize my time. I can, I can make the most of a day in the mid 80s, which is really my speed. I enjoy that. And so I packed up my inflatable paddleboard, I packed up a hammock, I packed up Bible, journal, and a book, and, and I hit the road. I arrived in record time at 11 a.m. and found uh, Wapato Point, which is one of my favorite areas, a little bit out of Lake Chelan or Chelan, the city downtown, and got situated at a park. And uh, spent some time praying and journaling and just resting in God's presence, and then it just felt like the time had come to get out on the lake. So I pumped up my paddleboard, launched, and was just paddling. And if you've been to Lake Chelan on the east side of um, Washington State, you know it is pristine. It is clear. It is beautiful. And so as I paddled, I talked to God, but I couldn't tell you what I said. I think I heard from God, but I couldn't tell you what he said. But what I can tell you is as I paddled and every so often jumped into that frigid lake to be refreshed and got back up and paddled some more, is I experienced the very real presence of God. And it's not that what I said or what he said that mattered, but it was that I was resting in his presence and I was available to him. And that was rejuvenating. It breathed, he breathed life joy and a sense of awe into me simply by resting in his presence. And today, as we continue in this series, talking about the I am statements of Jesus, what I am sharing on has everything to do with what I just described. Because in, in Matthew 28, verse 20, Jesus says something that is absolutely breathtaking. He says, and surely I am with you always. Jesus, at the end of his ministry on earth, says, and surely I am with you always. How many of you have ever paused to reflect on that? Those powerful seven words, and surely I'm with you always. If you're like me, you may fall prone to say, okay, I have goals. I'm going to get up. I'm going to read half of a chapter. I'm going to read a full chapter. And so you read that, you read those seven words, and you're like, wow, got to keep going. <laughs> And we breeze over something that is absolutely remarkable. And surely, surely, not possibly, not probably, not if you earn it, but surely, certainly, reliably, you can count on me. Surely I am. The, the, the significance, the power of this verse has everything to do with who the I am is referring to. If it's surely Scott Moon is with you always, I think there's some upside to that personally. I, I have some good characteristics and attributes to offer, 
But let's be real. It would pale in comparison to the God of the universe, the all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present God saying, and surely I'm with you. Always. I am with you always. Always being very straightforward and simple. That means always. All the time. In fact, there is never a moment where I am not with you. If you believe in me as your Lord and Savior, there is not a split second in your day where I am absent. I am with you always. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. I am with you moment by moment. When I was 20, my parents took my sister and I to Europe. I'd never been before. And we went to five different countries. And the first country we went to was England. And the first city we went to was London. And London is, is busy. But while we were there, we went to St. Paul's Cathedral. And if you've been, you know what a magnificent building that is. And then you consider when it was built and that they didn't have power tools or heavy equipment. And you're like, how is this possible? It is truly incredible. And so we left the city and headed to the countryside, and the countryside was referred to as the Cotswolds. It's a series of smaller towns that include names like Borton on the Water. Doesn't that sound majestic? Um, the first city we went to, uh, or the first town that we stopped in, I mean, just the countryside is breathtaking. Rolling grassy hills, trees sporadically placed on the hillside, slow shrubs, Bunnies frolicking on the hills. I mean, it is just breathtaking. And we go to dinner that evening in this small town, and, and it's like we walked in with the word tourist tattooed on our foreheads because we sat down, and the first word out of our waitress' mouth was, how are you enjoying your stay? And I was like, dang it, I thought we were blending in a little better than that. Not the case. And I said, this is incredible. And I launched in the, the hills and the, the grass and the trees and the shrubs and the bunnies. It's just beautiful. And she pauses. And she looks over her shoulder to a window behind her. And she says, I guess. And I was like, what? You guess. And in my heart, I was like, how have you become so numb to your surrounding and the beauty of it, I guess. I think over time she had just become calloused because this was her everyday environment. And my worry is that some of us have heard this beautiful promise of Jesus and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age that our response to this promise is simply, I guess. And my prayer is that this morning, that today, God would breathe life, would bring back the awe, would bring back the beauty of these incredible seven words, and surely I am with you always. Because I believe that if we truly believe this, we will live differently. Absolutely every area of our life will be different. Absolutely every area of our life will be different. Now, to do that, I want to go all the way back to Genesis because you go to the very first pages of Scripture and what we see is that God is. God is and then he creates. In six days, he creates with simply words. He doesn't need power tools or heavy machinery. He just uses his words, which is in an ongoing way just magnificent to me. It's just like he spoke and the galaxies and the earth came into being, the sun and the moon and the stars, the plants, the animals, the land, and the water, all of it. 
And he creates Adam and Eve. And then he rests on the seventh day. And in the Garden of Eden, where God places Adam and Eve, it is perfect. And you see, God longs to have a deep personal connection with us, with humanity. And it was realized in this moment. And we are created in his image to have that deep personal connection with him. And it is Shalom would be a word to describe it. Peace with God, perfect connection with God. Peace with one another. Peace with self, peace with the earth. Everything is ideal. Now, I don't know that you and I can possibly fully understand the, the gravity of that, the power of that, the awe of that. But let's, let's try just for a moment. Imagine that time where you were in your favorite place with your favorite people doing the things you love most, maybe eating the food that you love most. The setting is just right. And if you've been there, you know, you just kind of, everything is just right. There is a different sense of peace. There is a bliss. There is an awe. There is a Oh, man, I know everything's not right in the world, but this moment sure feels good. And I believe that is simply a fraction of what Adam and Eve experienced in the beginning, in the, in the Garden of Eden. But tragically, it doesn't last because Adam and Eve rebel, and like a rock thrown through a window, shalom is shattered into a million pieces. They were fully alive. Now Adam and Eve are spiritually dead. They were perfectly connected to their creator, God. Now that connection has been severed. God lovingly in their sin and shame pursues them and yet justly evicts them from Eden. Eden also represents his perfect presence. And as you read on in Genesis 4 and beyond, what we see is really not surprising. It's not shocking. It's not startling. We see how quickly humanity, once separated from God's promise, descends into the darkness of self-honoring, destructive behavior that leads to hurt, darkness, and ultimately death. That separation is absolutely world-changing. And yet... God, in his love and mercy, continues to pursue, to provide, to guide Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, and on and on. Now, if we fast forward in the story a little bit, we see in after, after rescuing, miraculously rescuing the Israelites from Egypt, God says to Moses in Exodus 25, 26, I want you to build a tabernacle for me and my presence will dwell there. That is great news for us, right? That separation from God's presence brings greater darkness, greater separation, greater sin into our life and into the world. And yet he says, I want to dwell among my people again. So Moses does. Then years later, King Solomon builds the temple once, once they conquer Jerusalem and take Jerusalem for for their, the people as God had promised, they build a permanent structure. Both of them had the same floor plan. You have the courtyard, you have the holy place, and then you have the holy of holies. And in short, the holy of holies is where God's presence, his very presence dwelled. And the reality though, is that only one person once a year could go into the holy of holies, the high priest on the day of atonement 
to make sacrifice to atone for the sins of the Israelites. So only one person, one day of the entire year was able to be in the very presence of God. I believe fully that from the moment Adam and Eve rebelled against God, humanity ached and continues to ache deeply for that personal, intimate relationship, connection with our God. And they ache and it hurts and they long to be reunited with him. So we see God is continuing to pursue because he is saying, I want you to build a tabernacle and then the temple and my presence will be there. If we fast forward again, um, God speaks to the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter seven, verse 14. Isaiah 7, verse 14, it says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and we will call him Emmanuel. You can say it like you're excited about it. It's okay. Emmanuel, meaning God with us. Somebody once told me this week, actually, they said, it's, it's really, you could say it differently, of the God who walks with us. Now, this is, again, something that people throughout humanity, throughout history, have been aching for that reality that, that we would have a God who walks with us. There has been a deep void, a painful void in their life, and then God promises through Isaiah that this will come to pass, and then we read in the Gospels that Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise, of that foretelling. And Jesus literally walks his presence. God, fully man, walks amongst his people with his people. He calls 12 guys to follow him, 12 very average men to follow him. And as they follow him, they give up everything. They leave everything behind and they get to see some amazing stuff. They get to see Jesus walk on water. Is anybody interested in seeing that? Right? Like, think about all the things they were right there to experience. Jesus walking on water. Jesus taking a few fish and some bread and multiplying it to feed 5,000. Five Jesus meeting with people that the religious elite rejected. Jesus treating people with love and respect and dignity. Jesus teaching, and then I love this part. Jesus saying things that the disciples are like, huh? But they got the backstage pass where Jesus explained to them what the parable meant. They are walking in the very presence of God. What their hearts were aching for was being fulfilled in the presence of God in the form of Jesus Christ, the exact representation of God the Father. Then Jesus says something that's very unsettling to them. And in John chapter 16, verse seven, he says, but truly I tell you, it's for your good that I'm going away. And they're like, wait, what? Let's run that back again. What'd you just say? It's for your good that I am going away. They're like, no, 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 no. That's not good at all. Because if you're not here, that means there is separation between us and God. And that is what our hearts deeply long for, that intimacy. But it is good if you go. It is good that I will go away. And the second part of the verse explains a little bit of the why. Unless I go away. The advocate, the counselor, the Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So Jesus is physically with the 12 disciples. Jesus is physically with those that he visits, those that he heals, those that he teaches. 
But ultimately, Jesus in his fully human form has limitation in regard to who he can be with. So if it's true, if this is true, how can Jesus say in Matthew 28, 20, surely I'll be with you always? Well, Jesus explains it in the second part of verse 7, John 16. When Jesus tells his disciples it's good for him to go, it's because he knows after he conquers death, rises from the dead, and days, weeks later, ascends into heaven, it's only then that he can send the Holy Spirit. It's only then that he can send the Holy Spirit. One thing that I want to pause on to acknowledge that I think is super cool is in going back to the Garden of Eden, he put cherubim on the edge with flaming swords to guard the, to, to guard the garden so that Adam and Eve could not return. In the tabernacle and the temple, there is a veil, and on that veil... There are woven in cherubim with flaming swords to warn people, do not step into the very presence of God in an unworthy manner. It is a warning saying, keep out. But God is continuing to pursue his people. And when Jesus is on the cross and he breathes his last, you know what happens? The veil is torn in two top to bottom. The veil is torn in two. And one theologian that I read over my sabbatical said, it's like God fired the cherubim and said, you're no longer needed. I don't want you to protect my presence from people. I want people, every person to come into my presence, to have a relationship with me. I want to move into their life in the form of the Holy Spirit so that the very Spirit of God will dwell in them. In essence, they become the temple of God, as the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians, right? Like, I don't know about you, but this is getting me excited if you can't tell. And I hope your pulse is rising and you are getting excited because this is something we should never take for granted. For thousands of years, people ached to have God with them. And God was with them communally, but not personally. Only one guy once a year could step into the very presence of God. And today, you and I, through the Holy Spirit, get to have the very presence of God dwell in us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Right? Like, that is incredible. That is absolutely incredible. And surely I am with you always. I don't know what you're experiencing today, what you've been experiencing in recent days, recent weeks, recent months, in this year or in recent years. But what I can promise you is that God has been walking with you. If you love Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he has been walking with you. Whether you're able to see him or not, he is with you. He is working for the good of those who love him. He's with us in our joy, in our sadness. He's with us in our hope and despair, in community and loneliness, in peace and anxiety, health and illness, comfort and fear, freedom and addiction, contentment and want, answered and unanswered prayer, restfulness and weariness. If you love Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and here's the best thing, if you're here this morning and you're visiting, you're checking us out online, and you don't have a personal relationship with God, he says, the only thing I require of you is that you would confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he is the Son of God, that he lived, that he chose to die a sinner's death to pay the price for our sin while being perfect, being put in a tomb, on the third day, conquered death, and then eventually rose into heaven. If you believe that, 
the Holy Spirit of God dwells in you and he says, welcome to the family. That is the only thing required of us. Absolutely amazing. Now it's clear throughout everything that I've mentioned throughout all of scripture that God has been since the fall has been actively pursuing his people to create a path back into his presence in a personal way that we get to personally experience his presence. Now that changes everything, right? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. There's a significant difference between knowing and experiencing that God is with us. I can know that an outlet offers power, but unless I plug into it, I don't receive any of the power. Let me put it differently. How many of you have a smartphone? Yep, raise your hand. We're asking for participation here. How many of you have a friend who has a smartphone, a roommate that has a smartphone, a wife or a, a husband that has a smartphone, uh, a child that has a smartphone? All right, all right, all right. So most of us, right? Kudos to those of you who still have dumb phones. Shout out. Um, so you likely then have made the same mistake that I have. You think, man, I really got to say something to this person. I want to tell them I want to ask them to do something right now. I can't wait. And so you do while they're in the middle of snapping, Instagramming, Facebooking, TikToking, YouTubing, Googling, whatever they're doing, gaming. You're like, oh, surely they can hear me. And so you ask them to do something and you're getting nothing. And you're like, oh man. And then you say, did you hear me? And they're like, oh yeah, 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 got it, I'm on it. And very quickly it becomes apparent they are not on it and they did not hear you because they were totally distracted. And their distraction communicates what's most important to them in that moment and it's not you. Anybody been there? Okay, good, I'm not alone. Um, and that is frustrating, is it not? That is frustrating. Here's the thing. We are regularly distracted. There is a God who promises, I am with you always. And yet we are distracted in our life and we miss his presence and what he's saying to us because our actions declare this other stuff is more important than you. And when we do this, we can know I am with you always, but it is a huge difference in experiencing I am with you always. Are we tracking? Absolutely huge difference. If we are courageous enough to take an honest inventory of the way we spend our time on an average day or an average week, many of us would find that we have unintentionally unintentionally allowed other realities, pressures, and priorities to crowd out our quality time with God in which we say, God, I am here. I am resting in you and I am available. I am listening. Please speak. Please speak. I am here. We have unintentionally allowed other things in our life to crowd out what is most important in our life. Here's the kicker. We are absolutely desperate for experiencing the presence of God in our life on the daily. And yet our actions sometimes declare, I don't need you today. Why would we ever make that choice? 
When the God of the universe, the sovereign God, the one that the apostle Paul says, and my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. That is everything we need for every moment of every day is found in a relationship with Jesus. And it's like, no, 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 I'm not going to connect to that because I don't actually want to receive that. That makes no sense. That makes no sense. The first week of my sabbatical, I went hiking to Fragrance Lake. If you're unfamiliar with Fragrance Lake, it's off Chuckanut Drive right across from Larrabee State Park. And it's a beautiful hike. And it was early and I was early in my sabbatical and I was very driven and bound like, okay, Lord, here are the things that I've got planned. It's going to be great. And really what I was doing was I was trying to tell God, like, I want you to fit in this box and speak to me in this moment. And God kind of said, that's cute. And then God graciously did to me what maybe he's done for you. He reminds you of something he's told you before. And then even before that, and probably before that, and you're like, oh man, you're right. I'm sorry. He said, Scott, I'm God. I want to talk to you. I am with you always. I am surely with you always. I want to talk to you, but I'm going to talk when I want to, when I have something to say, but I will speak in a way that you can hear. Now, one of my fears is that God will speak and I'll miss it. And if I'm being totally transparent with you, what that does is that doesn't diminish me because sometimes I think, man, I'm a little too simple to read into this and that and the other thing and, and get the message from God. But it's not really diminishing me, it's diminishing God because it's declaring that I don't think God is actually able to speak to me in a way that I can hear. Ooh. And so in that moment, God said, I'll speak in a way that you can hear, in a way that you cannot miss. Do you trust me? Do you trust me? So I kept hiking and I said, Lord, I'm here. I'm resting in you. I am listening. And if you want to say something, I'm trusting. You're going to say it in a way that I can hear. And if you want to just be with me and minister to me through your presence, I trust that too. And God spoke. God reminded, God encouraged, and he convicted. He said, you've been doing this. That needs to stop, and you need to make an apology to those people. Oof. And I did. It has everything to do with being available, less to do with what you are actually doing. M Natalie and I and the kids concluded my sabbatical going to one of our favorite places in the world. It's called Hume Lake. It's in the Sequoia National Forest outside Fresno, California, about 5,000 feet elevation. And, and years in the past when we've gone, we haven't always gone to this place, but we decided we're gonna go and we actually went three times. It was called Lookout Rock. And Lookout Rock is exactly that. It's a rock with a lookout, <laughs> right? Um, it's perched on the edge of Kings Canyon, which is over a mile and a half deep. It's one of the deepest canyons in the country. And um, we go at dusk, and as the sun sets and it gets darker and darker and darker, you just lay on your back and you look up and you see stars just one at a time start popping. And then you're looking at constellations and you're looking for shooting stars and you're looking for satellites and it's just breathtaking. And one night we're laying there and the moon comes up from behind us and it is so bright that it starts illuminating this mountain range in front of us. It was absolutely breathtaking. In that moment, I wasn't trying to force God into it. I wasn't even 
saying anything to him that I remember. I just was. And over my sabbatical, I'm learning to be, to posture myself in a way that says, I am here and I am available. However you want to meet me, whatever you want to say to me. And God brought two passages to my mind. Psalm 19, verses 1 and 2, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hand. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. In Romans 1.20, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. I lay on that rock in awe of the truth that the all-powerful, all-knowing, sovereign God whose love, forgiveness, grace, and eternal hope is unending for us, that he in that moment said, Scott, I want to say something to you. And I was able to hear it simply because I was available, because there was space for him to speak. I was not distracted. Experiencing is far better than knowing. Experiencing is far better than knowing. The question is not, is God with us? He is. Surely I'm with you always. The question is not, is God, is God speaking and wanting us to experience his presence? He is and he does. The question is, are we creating space to rest in, be with, and listen for God's voice, trusting that when he has something to say, he will say it in a way that even we can hear. Are we creating space? Are you creating space? Now, you may be thinking like, okay, Scott, that is awesome, and those stories are great, and I'm so glad that was your experience. You were on sabbatical. I am not. True. I was paddleboarding in Chelan. I was hiking in our backyard and I was laying under the stars. None of these things require a sabbatical to do. Some of you, most of us are able to look at our schedule and say, I can make cuts to create space. I will give up something that I even love in order to prioritize God more. For some of you in this room, you're like, Scott, there is literally no margin in my life. And what I want to suggest to you is what I've been kind of weaving through all of this. There's a God who knows you, a God who loves you, a God who wants to reveal his presence to you and speak to you. What it simply requires is availability. So as you do the dishes, as you change the oil, as you do the chores around your house, how is it that you say, God, I am here. Will you speak? I am here. If that's all that you have margin for, do that. And I believe the God who is able to do all things will show up in that moment. For many of you, my encouragement is don't use what I just shared as a cop-out to not cut something from your schedule that is able to be cut in order to create space. We are an overcommitted, overbusy culture that perpetuates busyness and hurry, and that actively gets in the way of our relationship with the Lord, of our being able to rest in, to be with, and to hear our incredible God. 
You see, we're created in the image of God to live as he created us to, which means we are created to fulfill the great commandment and commission that is to love God with all of us and to love our local and global neighbors in such a way that we would be pointing them to Jesus with the prayer that they would find and follow Jesus. That is how we are created to live. And I want to suggest that cannot happen if we are not actively creating space to connect with our God. Because our most powerful witness, our most powerful testimony, our most powerful example is when we naturally overflow because our soul is so full. On, on that rock, on Lake Chelan, there was a sense of fullness and awe of God that I haven't experienced for some time. Why? I was simply too busy and I was not disciplined about creating space. God wants to meet. He wants us to share his goodness. And that awe stems from that personal connection with our creator, God. So what do we need to do? Well, we need to believe that Jesus is telling the truth, that he is, in fact, with us always. And secondly, we need to make time to rest in, to be with, and to listen to, trusting that he'll speak. So my questions for us to consider are very simple. What decisions have you made that have unintentionally crowded God out of your life? What decisions have you made that have unintentionally crowded God out of your life? or really have gotten in the way of you being available to him. Because God is still in our life, but we aren't connecting to him. And secondly, what will you cut from your calendar to make time to create space to connect with our Emmanuel God, the God who walks with us? And then tell a friend, because there's something about telling somebody else and asking them to check in on us that increases the likelihood that we'll follow through. Make it small, make it doable, but make it small steps in the direction of Jesus and over time, it will pay dividends. Over time, it will pay off greatly. Matthew 28, 20. Surely I am with you always. Does this amazing I am change everything for you? Does this amazing I am change everything for you? My prayer is that it does. My prayer is that it does. Let's pray together. God, I thank you so much that you are with us always, that the, the creator God, the God of the universe, the God who simply spoke and brought everything into existence, that while being so massive, so powerful, you mysteriously make yourself present and with us each moment of each day. And Lord, I wanna ask that you would show each of us what we need to cut from our schedule, to create space, to connect with you in more intentional ways. God, we don't just wanna know the truth that you are with us, we want to experience that truth. And Lord, I long for my brothers and sisters to be filled with that sense of awe of you as a result. So Lord, would you guide us? Would you lead us? Would you convict us? And would you give us the courage that we need to change something in our life so that we can make the most of the pathway you created to connect us with you again in a personal way? You are so tremendously good. 
I love you and I thank you for your faithfulness to us each and every day. We pray these things together in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen, amen. amen.